I speak to you in the name of God, who was and is and is to come. Amen. Yesterday, I spent the morning sipping coffee and asking big questions about God. I sat in a circle with parents, Christian formation leaders, and a couple of pretty wonderful kids who were meeting with Claire Brown. Claire is an Episcopal priest, she's a mom, she's an author, who's visiting from East Tennessee to talk with folks across our diocese about how we can be spiritual companions to children. I had the pleasure of being in conversation with her on Friday night, too, with clergy and staff who work specifically with children's ministries. And we spent a lot of time in gratitude for the curiosity that kids have, and naming how sometimes when it comes to fielding their questions about faith, we can feel out of our depth. We want to have important conversations about God and faith, and we don't want to close off possibility and wonder in the children around us. And to be frank, a lot of us expressed that we just don't want to screw it up. We reflected on how, where's God in that? Or, but why did that happen? When we have those kind of moments with kids, sometimes they can bring up the questions that we still have rattling around in our heads and in our hearts. And it can be a humbling experience. The conversations on Friday and Saturday were thoughtful and they were inspiring and a lot is still percolating, but two things stood out that I wanted to share today. One is the grace and the freedom in understanding questions about God as being holy and living. What's resurrection? Why did Jesus have to die? Where is God when bad things happen? When a child asks questions like this, we have a choice. We can double down on what we think is the right answer, or we can match the wonder of the child and how we approach them. We can take a here, let me tell you the answer, posture, or we can take one of accompaniment that walks alongside them and explores it together, and we're open ourselves to learning alongside them. Most of the big questions about God that kids have and the questions about God that we have, they're the kind that don't necessarily have an answer that we can learn and then just move on to the next question, like you might on a test. They are questions that will keep coming up for us time and again over the course of our lives as circumstances change. Think for a moment about the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? If you answered that today, that answer might be different than it was five years ago or 10 years ago or when you were 10 years old. And that's not a bad thing. These kinds of questions are meant to be alive in us and to grow and expand as we grow and expand. Now, to help families take on some of these key holy questions that kids have, Claire has co-authored a book for families that takes on these questions and gives them ways to thoughtfully engage them around a kitchen table or on a car trip. And if you want to learn more about that, I'd be happy to share more about that particular resource. But the other thing that stood out to me 
was this kind of nerdy fact about the word companion that either I didn't know or had forgotten. But the roots of the word companion are with bread. Come, meaning with, and pan, for bread. So at its like most basic form, a companion is someone that you have bread with. And when we think about it this way, our closest companions are those that we share meals with regularly. Maybe that's your spouse or your children. Maybe it's the friend or the sibling that you can always call to meet up for a meal. Maybe it's the people you're going to go have a meal with after this service. Companions are the people with us in the break room at work or around the lunch table at school. We break bread around this table every Sunday as companions that are trying to follow the way of Jesus. Now, the bread that we share here on Sundays, it is simultaneously unique and very ordinary. In some ways, this altar is just like every other table you break bread around. But in other ways, it's unlike any other table that you share a meal. We come here seeking not just to encounter relationship and community with one another, but we come here seeking Jesus and to encounter him in a real way now. We come not to be fed with bread that's going to fill our stomachs, but to encounter the one who said, I am the bread of life. Now, Jesus was big on food. So many of the stories in the Gospels are about him having a meal with someone or making sure hungry people are fed. But today, the focus isn't so much on food and hunger, but it is on thirst and water. Give me a drink, Jesus says to the woman who has come out to the well to draw water. It was midday. The disciples had gone on into the city to try and find food. And it seems like Jesus was alone, and he found himself thirsty, and he didn't have a bucket. And after he says that, the woman asks her first question, and it's the first of many. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And in that question, we get a sense of just how unusual this encounter was. Not only are Jesus and this woman from different places, their difference in sex and what they believe in the histories of their communities make them people who would typically not just be strangers, but people who would be at odds with one another. Or to paraphrase as John so subtly puts it, these two did not share things in common. But the conversation continues, and they start to shift into talking about this living water. A little aside, this story, it's in John 4, it comes right after the one we heard last week in John 3 about Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night. And it becomes clear pretty early on that this pairing, having them side by side, it's intentional because the contrast between what's happening in each of them, it it matters. Nicodemus is a man. He's a Pharisee, which makes him an insider and a leader among the Jewish community. We learn his name, and he comes to Jesus at night. By contrast, the person Jesus meets in today's story is a woman who's from Samaria, 
which puts her on a political and a religious outsider position to the Jewish community. We never learn her name. And she meets Jesus in broad daylight. It's the middle of the day. But more important than all this, her encounter with Jesus is really a dialogue. There is some back and forth between Jesus and Nicodemus. But after a little bit, Jesus really kind of just takes off and keeps, keeps talking and turns into more of a monologue. And then he and the disciples are on to the next thing. In this conversation, though, the dialogue continues and it gets personal. The woman shares part of who she is. I have no husband. And they talk about her past and her present marital situation. And then Jesus shares who he, who he is. And not just part of who he is, he shares who he is at his core. I am. The one who is speaking to you, I am the Messiah. Well, after dropping that bombshell, that major revelation, that's when the disciples come back. And the woman leaves her jar and she goes back to the city to tell others to come and see. But even as she's going to tell people to come and see, the questions continue. And we hear her ask, he cannot be the Messiah, can he? Well, other Samaritans join her and they meet Jesus. And then they ask him a question. They say, will you stay with us? And he does. He stays for two days. I wonder how many times they broke bread over the course of those two days and what the meals were like, what the conversations were like, how many more questions there were. But by the time those days come to a close, the disciples go on their way, they continue to Galilee, and the Samaritans are left saying, this is truly the Savior, the Savior of the world. In this story, the dialogue itself is making a theological point. It shows that Jesus is willing to be a conversation partner. He doesn't just want to make a point. He is seeking out relationships and companionship. He comes first as the one in need. He is asking for a drink before he offers her something. There's a back and forth. There's an exchange of reciprocity and trust and a willing on both of their parts to be comfortable with the uncertainty of where these questions are going to take them. It's a story of spiritual accompaniment that stretches the woman and Jesus in profound ways because we see Jesus outside of his normal kind of geographic boundaries. And he's in a social realm that's new to him, so much so that by the end of his time there, he's not just focused on the people in the Jewish community, he's the savior of the world. That's who the Samaritans are proclaiming him to be. This story is full of questions. It's one of companionship, and while their time together was brief, the impact was really profound. So I want you to think about who you're going to break bread with today and what holy questions you might be brave enough to bring up with your meal mates. And then to think about when a question is asked of you, especially if it's by one of our younger members, one of our younger companions, what kind of approach, what kind of posture are you going to take in answering them? Being certain and sure about something can be a good and a wonderful thing. 
but it can also limit us and it can lock us into stasis that leaves the waters of our faith feeling stagnant. The woman at the well and her conversation with Jesus, it points to the importance of dialogue and not just monologues, which I realize is ironic coming in a sermon. <laughs> but it highlights that building, in rela- that building relationships with people who are different than we are, that is where God is made fully known. It stretches us to break bread with people who we might otherwise want to avoid. When you come to this table in a few minutes, bring your hunger and bring your thirst, bring your gratitude, bring your questions. The Lord is among us. Let us, draw, let us walk together and draw from the spring of living water. Amen.